0: Welcome to What is Good, a podcast from the Texas Baptist Christian Life Commission, where we explore contemporary cultural issues through a biblical lens. Micah 6.8 says that God has told us what is good, that we're to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with Him. So whether you're seeking a better understanding of how to live that out, or you're just curious to understand a Christian perspective of what's happening in our culture, we hope that you'll find today's conversation helpful as we discuss what is good.
1: Welcome to What is Good, a podcast from the Texas Baptist Christian Life Commission. I'm Irene Gallegos, your host, and I'm the Director of Hunger and Care Ministries with Texas Baptists. And today we have our fantastic Director of the CLC, Dr. Katie Fruget. Hello, Irene. How are you? Hello, good. And our Director of Ethics and Justice, Dr. David Sanchez. Greetings, everyone. And our Director of Public Policy, John Litzler. Hey, y'all. All right, so I'm excited. Today's topic is on vicarious resilience. So to start us out, I want to ask, what are the different jobs that each of you have had?
2: Hmm. I know that my first job, I was 16 years old, and I got an office job at a chiropractor's office, and I believe my official title was chiropractic assistant, but really what that meant is I answered the phones and (laughs) helped make schedules.
1: Love it. Chiropractic office. Did
0: you chart? Did you, like, no the I, charts?
2: I don't think legally I would be allowed to. I don't know. You're the lawyer. No, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't
0: mean, like, put medical information on the charts. I mean, like, did you put charts scribe. in folders? And oh, yeah, oh
2: yes. And- it was my job to make sure that all of that was in order and alphabetized and everything. Fun fact. Okay, sorry not to go too far into this. I was working at the office when HIPAA became a thing, and it rocked our worlds. So that's my claim to fame. Wow.
1: All right. Who else?
0: I worked at a radio station, which is fun because I know Irene also worked at a radio station.
1: That's right. How long were you there, John? Sorry, just curious.
0: Just for a year while I was in high school. I was at KSST. It was my senior year of high school. Nice. I would get up super early on Saturday mornings at like 5 a.m. And starting at 6.30, I would do this thing called the trading post of the airways. And it was basically just... Just think of Craigslist before there was Craigslist. I would pull out this thing and just be like, Well, Jim Bob's got a futon, he's willing to sell for fifty dollars. If anyone wants that, you can call him at this number and so and so's got hay for sale if you want to go buy and pick it up today. And thing. it was, is just, the it was coolest basically reading thing. Craigslist ads over the radio from like six thirty till eight or nine on Saturday mornings while Your everyone else was asleep. Year. Yeah. I was able to do a lot of homework at that job too.
1: That's so funny to me. I'm still shocked that even your sen- Saturdays on your senior year, mine was my senior year of high school as well, but mine was second period and probably the most scandalous thing I've ever done was just say that I needed to go get gas um, and to get a tardy pass and instead just go get food off campus and- to bring it for lunch. So
0: <laughs> I, love, I love the food story because our radio station was right next to the movie theater and when things were slow, I would prop open the back door to the radio station. I would walk over to the movie theater and buy a Bucket of popcorn and then bring it back to the station <laughs> and eat it while I was at the station.
3: Oh, love it. Love <laughs> That's it. cool. um You may or may not remember this. It's not the first thing people would think of when they think of Dr. David Sanchez, but I did used to work at Eclair's Boutiques. Uh, senior <laughs> oh, no, I
2: remember you telling us that. You pierced ears, didn't you?
3: Yes, I pierced the ears of infants and teenage <laughs> girls alike.
2: Wow, I think um, I forgot wow. that. And the
3: occasional girl hit on me. It was very awkward.
2: Oh, but man. There you go. <laughs> I actually do have two piercings on both sides of my ears, and they were all done at a Claire's. Um, maybe not my best life choices, but that's where we're at.
3: I mean, those, wow. you know, we... We're trained to sterilize them well. And those guns, like, click. It just, it's so easy. It works so quickly. It's way better than doing it at home with an ice cube and a needle.
2: I do have friends who did that with their nose in college.
3: Nope.
1: Yep, nope. (laughs) Uh, My first job was as a tutor. I think I was in high school. We're tutoring fellow high school students. But other than that, I worked as an RA in the dorms. And then I went from being an RA to an RA, went uh, in grad school as a research assistant. (laughs) And um, so resident assistant to research assistant. And then after grad school is when I got my first um, big time, big girl paid job. Um, And I worked at a nonprofit for parenting and pregnant teen moms. So um, if I could ask you, thinking back in either the job that you mentioned or any jobs that you've had, what surprised you about one of those jobs that was challenging I'll go first. Um catching shoplifters. Okay.
3: And you know, just having to always be looking at mirrors, look reading people's body language. I did not know that that was going to be a part of it and I'll never forget mm-hmm. one specific day where I caught I don't know, a young middle school kid, a young middle school boy trying to make out with some jewelry and I caught him and he looked like a deer in headlights, but he stood there and stayed in the store as I called the cops. Wow. And, um, and so I told the officer when he got there, I was like, hey, I caught him, but he stayed, you know, go easy on him. Like, let's talk to his parents, make this a learning experience. Um, but I was not ready <laughs> for that. Um, and just for, you know, the, the people you end up encountering from yes. all walks of life when you work in retail.
2: Um, Not just as a chiropractic assistant, but there's been several different jobs I've had as I went through my educational journey um, where I had to make cold calls. And that's probably Mm -hmm. one of my least favorite things to do, like, in the entire world. Um, But it gave me an interesting just experience of learning how to be conversational and talk with a total stranger and pretend like we're friends and, and have them like me within a few minutes. That's good.
0: So a job I didn't mention that earlier that I had was I taught high school. Um, for one year I taught, I had classes of freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors um, throughout the day. I taught law um, at, at a high school in Irving, Texas for a year. And it was the hardest job I've ever had. Um, and I did not make, it was not very far into that job before I was like, yep, not doing another <laughs> contract, not coming back, not doing this again. Yeah. Bless public school teachers. Um, it was a challenge in a lot of ways. I mean, you, what kids bring with them into the classroom, pain from situations, hurt at home. Some of them just having never been hugged or physically touched mm-hmm. and they just want to hug you. Um And just some of the stuff that they brought into the classroom, you were just like, okay, it almost made you want to set aside your lesson plan and just spend an entire day doing Mm. therapy or something, which I was not qualified to do. But um, it was just challenging in in a lot of ways.
1: What I love is even though the listeners, you know, won't be able to see our faces. I, even as hearing the stories that were shared and the challenges, I noticed there's some eyebrows raised at some of the surprising ones, and then some eyebrows down at some of the more serious, you know, kind of tones. John, um, something you know that you just shared right now, and so we know that in work it's no different than you know our outside of work, our everyday lives, where we have ups and downs. There's challenging situations, but we have also just these moments of joy, and so vicarious resilience really focuses on workplace and workplace wellness, and so. If we think back work ne- workplace wellness programs they often focus on um, how to mitigate burnout really across any field you want people to stay you want their you want people to show up to work be productive and uh, stay in in that field in in your place of employment and so uh, management often implements workplace wellness programs to help mitigate burnout um, and navigate this negative impact of work stressors whatever those stressors may be. And so recent conversations have shifted a focus. And so instead of looking at how to just really avoid the negative impacts, the focus has shed light on how do we look at positive impacts of work stressors and really promote this concept of vicarious resilience. So thinking back to the difficulty that you shared, John in the schools, uh, David with the shoplifters, Katie with the cold calls, um, thinking back to those difficulties in what ways would you say, and some of you shared a little bit, but expand more if you can, in what ways did those, um, difficulties have a positive impact for you?
0: The man who had taught the class before me, um, had left a bunch of ties behind and the students told me that every year he taught the kids how to tie ties And so um, I did that. I did that with the students. I taught them how to tie a tie. Mm. And then from that, we had conversations about how to handle a job interview. And I even helped with some resume stuff and how to answer interview questions. And so I hope it had a positive impact. I hope it helped those students who were, you know, looking for jobs after high school or didn't have anyone to teach them those types of things. Um, And that's not patting myself on the back. It's just kind of something I inherited with the job that I was like, yeah, this is what's important ostensibly the class was about law but in a lot of ways it was kind of a how to work in a professional environment class.
1: Hmm. And I love that, you know, it's you focus on you know that that impact that it could have on them, but also you said, you know, for you it was just, you know, there was that joy, there was that satisfaction in being able to pour out to give to those students.
2: I think for me when I think about especially like the cold calls and just having to do things i've learned so much over the last really the tw- last 20 years i'd say there's so much value to just being able to get something done um and just mm-hmm. showing up and doing things even if they're not fun i think that there's some character development that that helped create in me uh just being able to continue to do something even if i'm not really enjoying it there's value to doing hard things and seeing it through and that mm-hmm significantly helped me when I started facing big challenges in my PhD um, research of just being able to Mm -hmm. stick it out and do it even when it feels like slodging, when it feels like you're doing something that you have no interest in doing whatsoever, (laughs) um, but still recognizing the value that like I can do this and I'm going to keep pushing through even if it's one inch at a time or Mm -hmm. one cold call at a time or (laughs) one entry at a time.
1: Yeah. I love that you said the character development. That to me, I It's one of those "Mm," moments because that, that phrase even just, it shows that positive impact. It shows that even in the difficulty, there's, there's that added value, something that can come out from that. It's good.
3: Yeah. Um, I'd say for me, just helping see the value of putting a face to a crime, if that makes sense. Mm. <laughs> like realizing that um, a lot of times, maybe not as much at a Claire's as at like a food place, like a 7-Eleven or something. A lot of times shoplifting is driven by, you know, other other stressors, other things going on in their life that there's, uh, you know, food insecurity going on and, and things like that. And it just helped me not be so quick to judge. So, yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, I love that. And, um, we, we know that workplace stressors, they're inevitable. We, we, there are situations or um, circumstances, there are factors that we just can't avoid. There's the stressors exist. What is interesting is that we, they have both positive and negative impacts. And so, um, research on vicarious resilience is asking the question, have we overcorrected? to mostly or even solely focusing on the negative impact of workplace stressors or trauma instead of looking at the way that these difficulties have shaped us positively. So I'm going to give you a, a quick example um, The where this inspiration came from and why I started, starting, started studying this is because I looked at individuals who volunteered or worked at a rape crisis center. And when I saw people who work there, even past a six month mark, but you had people, I, the, one of the directors worked there for 30 years. She was on her 30th year. And for me, just in the short time I worked in those environments and domestic violence shelters, rape crisis center, I thought, this is heavy. The stories that you hear day in and day out. And so teaching is no different. Ministry is no different. There's, um, different fields where you hear you're exposed to trauma and, like I said, the workplace wellness, the conversation for 50 years has been on, it's an, it has a negative impact on us, but only for just about 20 years have we talked about the positive impact. And so what resilience researchers are asking is, have we overcorrected? Have we focused so much on the trauma that that seems to be our go-to, that we just automatically assume when there's a work stressor or there's trauma that you're exposed to at work We automatically assume, oh, this is something negative and we don't consider the positive. What do you, do do we all think that we have overcorrected?
0: I do. I've never heard of positives, positives. Um, I, I, I didn't know people focused on that until I talked to you. I hadn't heard of the term vicarious resilience. And um, when I think of words like stressors or trauma or whatever, I only think of negative. I don't think of any positive outcomes that come out of that. And so it's been interesting to me to learn that, you know, that tough times and hard times can make strong and good people. And we don't seem to focus on that, Um, Mm. you know, kind of the concept that diamonds are only made under pressure, you know, the positive outcomes of that kind of stuff. And we don't seem to talk about that. We focus a lot on burnout and we focus a lot on lack of relationships. But I don't hear a lot about how those relationships that we have can in our workplace and in our jobs can make us stronger.
1: And I just want to insert briefly, if I can, and I'll expand on this a little bit more and answer that, you know, probably burning question. What is vicarious resilience? Um, But I just want to insert trauma is real and the negative impacts of trauma are real. Burnout is real. And so vicarious resilience is not meaning we're going to dismiss burnout. It's acknowledging both sides of the coin. And we'll get into that a little later.
2: Yeah, it seems like there's a balance in both work and personal life of acknowledging the reality of trauma and of burnout, but compensating that, or maybe as a solution to that, this idea of resilience. Um, I've not really ever heard that until, like, John, really meeting you, Irene, and seeing resilience as a solution to burnout, not as a uh, gloss over to it, but acknowledging Mm -hmm. this and then as a path to healing this idea of resilience, I think is really interesting. And uh, yeah, I've not heard about it very much before now.
3: And I feel like sometimes even just discussions about mental health in general are focusing more on the negative. There was a book by a guy um, written just this past year, his name is Alan Noble. It's a book called On Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living. And it's just a great read of talking about how in some ways, like with our with our all the designations that we have now for different types of mental challenges and, and um, trauma and mental illness that that we've come up with all of these designations and sometimes that's just where they stop and leave you. Like they don't really take you to a, mm. a true path of healing and um, it's a, just a good challenging book that could probably say much better what I'm trying to say right now. <laughs>
1: good resource.
2: Put it in the show
1: notes. Yes,
3: I will. Put it in the show notes.
1: There you go. So a question that um, may be burning in your minds is, well, what is this vicarious resilience? What are we talking about? And so the the biggest piece is resilience is something individual. It's something, it's a characteristic within oneself. But vicarious resilience, it takes two. It's in the workplace setting. So we're talking about, or it was, I say workplace because that's where most of the research l- it lies. However, this is in service, in in volunteerism but work nonetheless and so vicarious resilience it's a newer concept it was coined in 2007 and it highlights both it's the positive professional and personal growth of trauma workers resulting from exposure to clients resilience so there were some researchers who first studied mental health therapists in colombia and who these therapists were working with torture survivors wow and so what the researchers wanted to know is um they were interviewing these therapists and looking at the impacts of working with torture survivors And they started hearing a lot of positive language and the ways that these therapists were showing that they, they healed and they, they increased in, in areas of their life. For example, hope, um, and a lot of them talked about their faith journey and how they, they grew from this line of work. And so this was intriguing to these researchers, because again, the conversation up to this point had mostly, if not solely been focused on burnout and the negative impacts of working in trauma heavy fields. But this concept of, wow, these therapists are talking about how they've grown in their personal lives and also in their professional lives because of this work. And so the researchers then took, they repeated and uh, did another sample in LA and again, therapists working with torture survivors who also discussed their, their line of work and how they were able to mirror their clients resilience. And it's not something that they went in saying, how can I become resilient because my clients are resilient, but no, the more that they spoke and it's again, not to say that they didn't experience burnout or secondary traumatic stress or compassion fatigue, these negative real impacts of working in a trauma-heavy field, what it's saying is, in addition to that, there were also moments of growth. And so from there, the research expanded to studying really an array of fields. You had domestic violence advocates who um, were entering into the, the research. You had first responders, child welfare workers, even um, hospice care workers. And so people who mm. who work in such heavy fields again, trauma heavy fields and also saying, you know what? Yes, there is negative impact to this trauma. It's hard bearing the burden, hearing these encounters, seeing my clients, seeing my patients what you enter the, the name of the, the person you work with, seeing them suffer. Even so I've gained a new perspective. I've grown. And so it's almost obvious or even second nature to us, again, because the conversation for so long has been about burnout, it's second nature really to consider immediately these negative impacts of working in a trauma-heavy field. But we're sometimes slower to consider the positive impacts of hearing or witnessing workplace trauma or stressors. Why, why do you all think that is?
2: I mean, it seems like we're kind of, we innately know trauma equals a Um, uncomfortable or bad experience, and we don't like those in general. It's just human nature to want to go away from bad experiences. But even in this conversation, I think about how the Bible kind of points to this idea of resilience. I think of James 1, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Um, So it seems to me that there's something even in the Christian faith that has been aware of this since the very beginning, Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we're just now catching up to it. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you said that Katie cuz I had a similar thought. Um part of the problem is a lot of times we take verses out of context and use them use them inappropriately. So I know like when um my wife's father passed away, every every single card about how God works everything together for good and she was like, "Goodness, if I never hear that verse again, you know, it'll be too soon." But there's yeah. truth to it. There's truth to those verses that God does work things together for good and that even out of trauma good can happen. We just have to be really careful and sensitive about how we talk about it. But Mm -hmm. for the Christ follower, these concepts of considering trials, joy and positive coming out of bad things and carrying Mm -hmm. burdens with one another, strengthening your resilience together are not foreign concepts. I, I just don't think they're concepts that we emphasize nearly enough.
3: I think maybe um, sometimes personality comes into it as Mm. as well. You know, some people are just more naturally positive, and some people are naturally more negative. And I feel like with our culture today and with social media, um, there's just there's definitely a steering of the brains towards training, towards focusing on the negative and the outrage, and look at this impact, and look at how horrible this is, and keep looking at it because that you know that gives us ad revenue if you keep looking at it. Mm. Um, And so I feel. We're kind of training our brains to focus on the negative, but then it's also just really easy, you know, if you have a bruise to just keep pushing the bruise to see if it hurts. (laughs) And I feel like um, it's, it's, it's easy to wallow in pain. And Mm -hmm. so it's sometimes it's just more of a, it's, I don't want to say it's more relaxing, but it's like the path of least resistance yeah. to just be like, yeah, this stinks as opposed to, all right, so mental energy here. Uh, I took a nap. Now, what's the good that can, I had a cry. Now, what's the good that can come out of this? You know, How do I get that one negative voice that shouted at mm. me out of my head and instead focus on all the positive voices that said I did a great job talking about something? Yes. What I'm
0: hearing from David is, if we would rebrand the podcast as "What Is Bad," we would get more clicks and maybe yes. some subs. <laughs>
3: you are so right, John. You are so. That's what right. I took away from it's that, sad. Um, and yeah. for a split second, I was like, "Should we?"
1: Oh, No, <laughs> no, no. For and the clicks, John. For the clicks.
0: <laughs> for the clicks.
1: And really, what Katie said earlier—the you know—the cold calls, that character development, who who wants that? I mean, who, who wants to be pushed and prodded into these awkward, difficult circumstances? We don't, we don't want it. Um, and so to choose, you know, it's an active choice to say, I'm going to choose to see the positive. I'm going to choose to look at the growth from this experience. And so again, one of the things that by character's lens, what I really want to hone in on is this is something in, the workplace and so or if you will in the in your ministry and so I want to give an example um, when I presented my workshop on vicarious resilience with Buckner Children and Family Services there were different staff in the room and there were staff who worked with directly with foster children foster or adopted adoption parents single mothers low-income families you, you and really you also had administrative staff in the room and this training applied to all of them. And so I asked them, one of the questions I asked during the training is to consider their time in the field. So whether that's social work in general, whether that's administration, um, or even specifically child welfare. So considering their total time of service, their time in the field. And I wanted them to think of a name or think of the face of someone who they worked with, who demonstrated resilience. So typically when I ask this question, I'll see smiles in the room. Some of them will start whispering to one another. And as they share these stories of resilience, quite often you'll, we have to, I think in every location that I went to when I did an in-person and even some of the online trainings, there were uh, tissues that had to be used because people were just filled and overjoyed um, at the resilience that they recalled from the People that they worked with, and you hear stories of people in such difficult situations. You have, um, you know, children who have who are in homes with social problems, economic, environmental distresses, and even so, these individuals persevered and they worked towards improving their future. And so, these stories, these testimonies, if you will, they grew the workers in so many ways. And so, well, I'm going to keep diving into that in a minute. Um, but I want to, I want to ask you all. Um, so some of you may not have worked in in some of these related fields, um, but you all currently work in ministry or you have worked and, you know, we've listed some of the different workplaces. So to help connect this a little bit more home, can you think of examples where you were encouraged by someone's resilience? So whether a mentor, a coworker, or even someone that you served, can you think of examples where you were encouraged, again, in, in your area of ministry, in your work, were you encouraged by someone's resilience?
3: Well, as you guys know, I will speak often on the topic of doing ministry to people who struggle with LGBTQ-related issues, like mm-hmm. struggling with their gender identity or, or who they're attracted to. And inevitably, after a talk, someone will come up to me and start with the sentence, I've never told anyone this before, And usually what comes afterwards is heartbreaking. It's not just, hey, here's something I struggle with. It's, it comes with the bullying that's been involved. Mm-hmm. It comes with the, um, the abuse that's been involved. Mm-hmm. I remember one time specifically, I met with someone who'd been in ministry for decades and shared of a time that a same-sex minister abused them multiple times, on multiple occasions, just use their power to sexually abuse them. And I'm sitting here and listening to this, and I'm thinking, this person has carried this through their entire life and has never opened up with anyone about it. And yet, they've still believed in God, they've still been faithful to Him, and they've had an amazing ministry. And I just thought, wow, like to have come out of that and not have your faith rocked, That just, it really, um, it blessed me. I felt like I was more blessed by our conversation than than that Mm. person was.
2: Yeah, I would be remiss not to give a shout out to uh, former CLC director, Susie Painter-March. She is a friend and mentor and just probably the biggest cheerleader I have in my corner sometimes. And every Mm. opportunity she has to encourage me, she has. And she, more than most people, understand some of the unique challenges of being a female in this world and trying to navigate uh, the issues that we dive into at the CLC. Um, Being a big tent convention comes with some great opportunities, but also some big challenges. And Mm -hmm. her ability to navigate that and walk that line has been an encouragement to me. And her own encouragement since then has just meant so much to me. It's given me courage sometimes when I needed it. And it's given me just kind of the oomph I needed to make, make that next step, knowing that she was able to do this. And now she's in my corner cheering me on. Hmm.
1: So good. So we have these examples and you're you have someone in your corner or even someone who has the boldness, the confidence like David shared to share with you these stories, these intimate moments. And it encourages. So I've talked a bit about, people's resilience. So why why is this even important? Why what's the point of hearing about the resilience in someone? Why and how is that different from just if you're in ministry or in a specific helping profession? How is it different from just self-care? And I've received that question. I have and I wish you could see my face because I'm burning with passion to say vicarious resilience is a lot more than just self-care. And so in fields where, you know, or areas of ministry where fatigue, client overload, systemic frustrations, um, the stories that you hear from your congregation, when we feel that those are just, you know, air quotes, part of the job, we often hear about some of these jobs causing burnout. On the flip side, we have these moments of inspiration from testimonies that just keep us going, but that motivation only lasts so long. And so a major difference, major difference in vicarious resilience is reflection. And so really it's, it's mind preparation. And why is that important? Well, we know that in order to have this holistic sense of wellness, it's mind, body, soul and self-care in my opinion a lot of it is just for the body. It's a temporary relief for the body. It's a temporary relief of, of stressors, whether, and I remember one time when I worked in the, in the intimate partner violence field and was stationed at domestic violence shelters and rape crisis center we did a self-care day for the staff and they chose yoga. And I thought that is not my kind of self-care. Like give me kickboxing. Like I want, I I need to let out. She's got to get it out. (laughs) Yes. And so it does. So self-care is going to vary for everyone. But to me, whether that's taking a, a, a hot bath, whether that's getting a massage, whether that's kickboxing, whether that's axe throwing, whatever it is to me, that's a temporary relief for the body. So what about the mind and the soul? And that's why I'm so passionate about vicarious resilience, because yes, the soul to me and the, the, the word of God, the, the community, there are aspects of, of our faith that feed the soul. And when I think of the mind, yes, this, it all, it's all together. So how are we working on the mind and specifically when it comes to this trauma exposure, how are we working on our mind? So we can work on our body, we can work on our soul, what of our mind, and that's the difference in vicarious resilience. And so there you have these seven core constructs or subconstructs within vicarious resilience and a few of them talk about presence, perspective, resourcefulness, hope, and spiritual transformation. And so I won't dive into deep, um, in, into each of those areas but to touch on a few presence you know when you consider your time in ministry when you consider your time in enter whatever helping profession first responder social worker how have you gained an ability to be more present from when you first started in that area to now perspective how have you shifted in your perspective sometimes it is a negative shift other times it's a positive shift. Maybe you, you saw someone transform and your hope in the Lord just increased even more. Maybe you saw the need for more prayer. Um, and it increased your, you know, it grew, you grew in your spiritual transformation because you saw the need again, mind, body, soul. You saw the need for more of that soul care to be able to protect your mind and your, and your, um, heart, your body to be able to keep giving in, in your area of ministry resourcefulness. Maybe you have, and this is, there's so many aspects to resourcefulness. This is why I won't get into the weeds of it. Um, but one of the aspects is have you become more resourceful because you have seen the way that you're the people that you serve, the way that maybe that resilient individual has been more resourceful with their finances, has been more resourceful with, um, the community allocations, the resources available, whatever it may be, and has allowed you to be more resourceful, maybe. And I will say a prime example for me, even in working, even though I work in the office, quote unquote, and I don't work directly with clients, overseeing the hunger offering has made me even increasingly more aware of food insecurity. And so I, Truthfully, I don't eat out or pig out even as much as I used to, because to me, it's it's helped me to be more resourceful and steward what God has given me. Um, I'm even more willing to share a meal, which you I used to be like, do not touch my fries. I'm not sharing my fries. But I have been more kind in in sharing meals because considering what what who else is out there. So we have these areas of vicarious resilience and Um, When I do the trainings, we go into different areas of expanding and exploring how can we grow our mind? How can we look and take time to reflect on these areas and identify the personal and professional growth that encourages workplace wellness so that when we wake up and we go to work, whether that's a physical space, we get online, whatever that may look like, that we're able to view this ministry, this work in a positive light. And again, it's not to say that you don't have these negative moments. It's not to say they don't exist. And I want to keep acknowledging there is burnout. There are moments where you have negative impacts because of, I mean, I I think we lost count, David, right? Of the number of times you gave the, the LGBTQ training and, and workshops that you've done, the, the talks that you've done. And that was just one experience that you had from an individual who came up to you to disclose information i can't imagine the number of people who have disclosed information so like you mentioned that that's burdensome that that's heavy to hear in addition there are those moments of wow, god thank you for thank you for allowing me to be able to speak a word of encouragement to bless someone to or even not even just to speak but just to be that listening ear to be present with someone and maybe has even grown your ability to be present. And so to me, that's a far stronger plan when we think about how, you know, if the workers are few, how do we sustain workers in the field, in areas of ministry, in, in education, in medicine, in healthcare, in, in chaplaincy, whatever it may be, is looking at okay how can I grow and feed my mind body and soul and so self-care is important go axe throwing go do yoga whatever you need to do um and that's a good reliever for the body let's consider what are we doing for our mind and how can we stay in the game also mentally for our work
2: Irene what I what I'm hearing you say that I think is so crucial for especially Christians uh is it's it's approaching the the human person as a holistic being. Yes. That it's not separating the soul away. It's not just focusing on the physical, but it's this enmeshing that says we are complex creations that mm. have a soul, mind, body, and how are we going to holistically care for the whole person that God has created us to be and not hyper-focus on one or the other.
1: Yep. Nailed it. So... I want to lean into. I think our team has amazing experts. We do have a Bible scholar on the team, um, and so this research, it, obviously, it's helpful. I'm all for it. Um, and these ideas are also biblical. And Katie, you alluded to that earlier. I tell people often in the training too. We we go into a field of service, area of ministry, and we we want to be that blessing. We want to pour out. We want to overflow into others, and yet we find that in so many ways we're blessed. And when we, when we're obedient to that calling, you know, we don't seek to, to give in order to receive. However, we know that oftentimes when we give, we, we also receive, we are so blessed by that. And so, um, vicarious resilience, it observes what some of those blessings are. And so I want to ask you all, can you think of other ways, um, and what we've talked about in this conversation today? How else does it echo the scriptures?
3: If I could start first with a little anecdotal situation. Um, mm-hmm. I've definitely been in rooms with pastors where they start complaining about the belligerent deacon, <laughs> and they kind of all just sort of commiserate together, again, mm-hmm. just kind of pushing the bruise. But then th- very rarely does the conversation turn into, okay, and how has God used that to shape me to be more like Christ? Mm. And so when I think about that, if I thought if I were going to be in that situation and in that room, what scripture would I want to bring up to kind of encourage them? I would probably be Romans twelve two and just like, OK, but let's renew our minds here. Like we would be conforming to the pattern of this world if we just complained. Hmm. But let's renew our minds and think instead along the terms of God's will and see how has God's will played out in this in how it shaped my life, maybe in how it strengthened my marriage as I've complained to my wife, you know, and she's mm-hmm. helped me through this or, or or strengthened the bond with other pastor who, who has mentored me as we've worked through these issues together. So even just like focusing on the positive, I think, is part of what it means to renew our minds because we're focusing on the blessings of what God has done. We're counting our blessings.
1: So good.
2: I also think of Galatians 6 of bearing one another's burdens. This idea of walking alongside one another makes it easier for all of us. And this idea Mm. of vicarious resilience, walking alongside other people in ministry, walking alongside people in their life, um, and kind of gaining strength to be able to do that um, Mm. through just that communal experience of, of walking with each other.
0: My mind goes to the same place, Katie. I thought of Galatians 6 and bearing one another's burdens as well. And I always like examples, you know, case studies, and there's no shortage of examples in scripture, but I think the one that sticks out most in my mind on this topic would probably be Ruth and Naomi and going through the trauma they went through Mm, of losing so many family members and then relying on each other and sticking together and making a plan for, you know, life together. Maybe they would have been able to do it if it was just one of them, but the fact that Ruth stuck with Naomi and they were able to do it together. And after having gone through this trauma that they, they were each able to pull off the strength and resolve of the other to move Mm -hmm. forward is a good example for me.
1: I will say that in a lot of the social science research, (laughs) it's not surprising to me that one of the key Constructs that comes out every time is the value of social support, and it, we know that you know those of us who are, who are of the faith and in and believe in Christ and know the the beauty of community. We know it. We know the added value, and again, that's one of the beauties of vicarious resilience. Is it is saying I I, I'm not doing this on my own, and again. I will say over and over resilience is not some pick yourself up by the bootstraps concept. Let's keep plowing. No, really. It's a humbling experience to again, pause, reflect in some key areas so that we can keep pouring out. And so, um, thank y'all for, um, just this time. And, um, as it's tradition to close out, I want to ask what is good.
0: Before we get into some of our things that are, that are good this week. I just, have to say that I love that we're covering this topic on this podcast because in my mind, our podcast talking about what is good and vicarious resilience are so perfectly aligned, right? Like we're not, Mm -hmm. we're not, there's, there's tough things out there, but we're not focusing on it. We're trying, the whole goal of this podcast is to just try to enter into tough conversations about things that may be going on culturally, theologically, politically and pulling out, you know, what's good and how do mm. we have a healthy conversation about it and focuses on some of the ways we can get stronger out of it. And so I just think this is the perfect topic for our podcast. Hmm.
3: <laughs> what is good this episode of this podcast? This episode. <laughs> right, that's right. Self promotion. Petting ourselves you on got it, David. <laughs> <laughs> Um,
0: I you know, one of the areas where I know y'all talk about Irene where vicarious resilience is stronger in the areas of um foster care CPS workers and foster parents and things like that Stephanie and I are foster parents we don't have a placement currently but we're getting ready to have another placement so it's something that's near and dear to me and I saw on Twitter last week where a woman shared about um, how when she was 12 her parents lost the ability to care for her and she went into a shelter and was placed in a foster home with a woman who she only knew as Mama Elsie or Essie maybe and um, she was difficult. She gave this woman trouble. She ultimately tried to run away. And when she did, they put her back in a shelter and took her out of the home. And she was just talking about how even though she was only with that woman for a few short months, that woman taught her all kinds of stuff about life, about how to do her makeup and her hair and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And she basically said, all the positive things I am are about that those few months I had in that woman's home. And then the wow. internet did its thing and they found this lady. You know, four <gasps> decades later, everyone's like, oh, I know who that lady is. She fostered wow. hundreds of kids. And they found her for her on Twitter and they were able to get reunited. And I just think that's really neat. And the lady remembered her. The foster mother remembered mm. her, of course.
3: Wow. And from some perspectives, you would have just seen, thought that was a failure, right? <laughs> sure. She was just there for a few months and then they ran away.
0: And yeah. then you never got to see him again.
3: Mm. Yeah.
1: Beautiful.
2: Well, my good for this week is um, they recently came out with some really exciting research on some cutting-edge gene technology that will help restore hearing to children who are born either hard of hearing or fully deaf, and I'm just so excited for the possibilities that that may provide for so many families, Um, just the option to say, is this a good path for our family? I just was so excited to hear that. Uh, you guys may or may not know this. Part of our own story is our middle daughter, Felicity, uh, miraculously had hearing restored when she was an infant. And if not for the grace of God, uh, we might be in a situation where we need to be more fluent in ASL or something like that. So I've uh, kind of been adjacent to that conversation and culture for a while. And I just celebrate for all of the parents who are looking at this potential opportunity for their children.
0: That is awesome. Yes, that's really cool.
3: Man, mine is so not as deep as that. Uh, as of the day that we recorded this podcast, yesterday, a new trailer dropped for um, the the live-action Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix. And y'all, it looks so good. The casting looks great. The special effects for Earth, Wind, Fire, and Air look amazing. The choreography of the fight scenes. I am so pumped for this but even more like we we showed this show to our daughter my wife and I watched it like by ourselves beforehand and then we showed (laughs) it to our daughter and it's like it's something that our whole family is into and that's Mm. cool too like when something can bring you together and then who knows what will be on that show that will be awkward that will spur on great conversation see how I'm keeping going instead of just trying to make it all about the trailer to turn it back into something more (laughs) spiritual but honestly I'm just hyped I the, the 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 yeah M. Night, the more we can erase M. Night Shyamalan's movie, the better. So
0: (laughs) what is good, Irene?
1: Yes, I would say I would be remiss if I didn't mention, especially in this topic of vicarious resilience, the many people, the ministers, the leaders, the volunteers, everyone who works in in an area where you serve someone else, where you're in a helping profession, those I consider my heroes of hope and so i'm thankful um for those who have such tenure in in these areas especially the trauma heavy fields because evil and sin and darkness will continue in this world and i'm just so so grateful for the many who day in and day out choose to stay committed to their fields and i just hope and pray that um they continue to focus on their wellness mind body and soul so that they can, um, continue giving in this, in, in their line of work. And so I'm very grateful for the resilient workers in the field.
2: Amen. Amen.
1: Well, thank you for joining us for today's episode of what is good, a podcast from the Texas Baptist Christian life commission. And we hope to have you with us next time.
0: go irene do do, do
3: do 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 wait no that's not that's advisory opinions that's not ours
0: <laughs> that's john
3: not didn't nice. have it ready this- no no i don't I do, know do, do,
0: do. oh, i can't hear it oh. <laughs> i don't have a voice y'all <laughs> yeah
3: your, your voice your best, is a
2: little buddy. lower it's i can tell yes are you feeling it's, okay i've
0: been sick so i'm struggling
3: should I not stay at your house tonight? Should I just not bother you?
0: My wife has disinfected the entire upstairs. We've washed all the sheets and sprayed everything down. So you're welcome to. stay It
3: would here be with. an insult for me to slight you now.
0: <laughs> you don't have to if you don't want to, but you're welcome to.
3: Well, I yeah. obviously want to, but I didn't want to impose. But it seems like I've, I already I don't have. So <laughs> contagious.
0: I think I'm on the. I think I'm on the back end. So.
3: Oh, I thought you to say "on the mend." I love that phrase. It's very Elizabethan. On the mend.